Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today, it's my great pleasure to welcome McLean Smith to the show. He is the director of SMB sales and sales development at LucidChart. Welcome, McLean. Hello, everyone. LucidChart is a visual workspace that combines diagramming, data, and collaboration to accelerate innovation. If you caught the other podcast that we've done with Tyler Bench, also from LucidChart, you will know that I'm a huge advocate and fan of the tool. Uh, and, and I'm pretty much in there every single day doing one thing or another, either in sales or in just general corporate strategy. It's a, a really great diagramming and collaboration tool. So there's uh, two questions I always ask in order for the listeners to get to know you a little bit. The first is, what is your favorite sales or leadership book of all time and why? Extreme Ownership by uh, Jocko Willink and Leif, Leif Babin. One of the reasons why I love this book is the concept of taking ownership of the mistakes that you've made and being able to take those mistakes and change them into a positive thing and propelling that towards action and, and, and bettering yourself. What's fascinating is that it's a book where the concept you need to have everyone do it. And if everyone believes in the ownership and taking responsibility and, and, and a bias towards action, you start to see some pretty amazing things from a leadership perspective. Respect increases, people want to follow you. And I've just seen some amazing things come from that book and just the principles. And I think uh, it's a good principle in life. I mean, if you're avoiding problems or if you're running away from issues that you have, the problem still exists. And so you have to take ownership and realize, hey, I'm the owner of my destiny. I take accountability for my own actions and I can actually make a positive change in my life and the life of others. So that's, that's one of the reasons why I love that book. Have you thought much about how extreme ownership and the advice to delegate so you can leverage yourself more effectively, how those things interplay? I think initially, if you take a first read at it, you, you think I need to own everything. Leadership is being able to effectively train people and coach them so that they can take ownership of things. And so I, I think that initial investment is scary for people, especially if they're really capable. As a leader, you're worried that your, your subordinate won't understand or will, will take a long time to do it or to, to take a, a large investment to teach them to do things. And so you end up doing it yourself. I think that that's the wrong approach. I think you need to take ownership of, of helping them, training them so that they can do it themselves, so that they're actually growing. I think you're exactly right. Delegation is a big piece of that. The other question is to reflect on maybe the first thing you remember selling either, you know, in your pre-career days or maybe the first thing you remember selling professionally. I had a funny quirk as I started to get into sales. The particular sales floor that I worked on at a company called Basque, it was just so loud. It was so loud in there. And I remember it was hard for me to concentrate and get in the zone and to really focus in on you know, the prospect and, and what we were talking about. And so I, I actually, uh, one of the biggest deals I sold, I used to get underneath my desk because it was so loud, you know, on my knees, my butt sticking up in the air. <laughs> and uh, it was a way for me to kind of get in a quiet space and just really focus in and listen. And I remember, you know, talking to that particular person. And more specifically, I really focus on the, the methodology that we we're teaching at the time, which was to first understand their, their needs, desired future state, and then pitch. So I was closing this deal and it was, uh, I think it was 500 MRR deal, which was the biggest one that I'd ever sold at that point. 
it just was a funny memory, funny experience. I remember getting out from under the desk and just being stoked um, that the client was excited to move forward with, you know, the services. Yeah. As long um, as you didn't bang your head getting back out from under the desk. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And a couple of my coworkers took a few pictures. It was a, it was a funny experience, but it was definitely a memorable one. Let's dig into Basque, right? Which was also diggity.com. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Let's dig in there. You had mentioned that you were following a particular sales methodology there. And did that sales methodology tie into, you know, the thing we want to talk about today, which is genuine curiosity, or was that not a central part of the methodology at that time? It's definitely part of it. Uh, it wasn't explicitly stated in the methodology. The methodology I'm specifically referring to is uh, it's called Griffin Hill. And uh, as a part of that, it's this idea of first understanding just the business, understanding the status quo of the customer, where they're at, what are their current challenges, uh, how are they currently operating. And that's really kind of where this genesis of, of curiosity, I think, for my career, you know, working with prospects was formed. I always found that as I just took a step back and, and really thought, like, what does this company do? You know, if I'm talking to this person, what gets them up every day? What is getting them excited to, you know, sell their product, work on it, make it better? What is it that they're doing? And how is that product affecting the world around them and their clients? Really putting myself in the shoes of the customer was my goal. And to just understand, hey, what are the pain points? Hey, you know, if you're doing this and the negative consequence of that is this, you know, tell me more about that. Walk me through that. I think that's where, you know, learning how to just be extremely curious about businesses really took off for me, was learning how to sell. And, and I found that that resonated with people and it helped me to advance deals. I mean, it's relatively conventional advice to, you know, be curious as a salesperson, but I guess sometimes easier said than done. What do you think is kind of the DNA of somebody who will be, you know, truly genuinely curious as a sales professional? I think it's building that human connection with somebody where you're not necessarily a, a robot, right? You're, you're, you're actual human and you're curious and you care about that person. It's saying, hey, you know, have you tried, you know, the pizza on 32nd Street or something. Connecting on that personal level, but it's picking up those breadcrumbs that people give you. I guess the way I explain that is that certain things, people are going to say things to you. They're going to volunteer certain information as you're talking, whether it's like, hey, I, you know, I live off of Central Park and, and the AE picks up on that. Say, oh, yeah, well, I walk my dogs in Central Park every day. Like, what's your favorite place to go there? Oh, well, it's this, right? And that curiosity as you're picking up those, those personal aspects of what people are telling you, or you can kind of build off that and create that curiosity. One, it validates that you're listening to those small things that may not be necessarily easy to pick up on, but allows you to build that human connection with the prospect early in the buying cycle. And it helps you to build a foundation where you can ask those deeper questions further on in the discovery you, know, you talk about curiosity and it sounds like there's at least two forms of it. One is curiosity about them as a person. And the other obviously is curiosity about their business and their challenges, especially if it's early in the sales cycle. I find that if the salesperson is getting a little too buddy, buddy and focusing a little bit too much on the personal side, I almost feel that that's disingenuous that they're using that as a technique. How do you get around yes. that? I would agree with you 100%. If you, jump into buddy, buddy without building layer upon layer, you know, 
of rapport, you're going to sound like you're disingenuous. I think you're exactly right. You know, prior to engagement, let's say that, uh, you know, I'm an SDR and I'm trying to reach out. I think your first approach is to seek understanding of their business first. And then once a call is scheduled, once you get a next step scheduled and you have a call scheduled, I think that's where you slowly can build that personal connection with the person. Once you slowly kind of build that foundation, then you can get maybe not the right term for it, but buddy, buddy, but you have to earn that respect and it comes slowly. But first it starts with that genuine curiosity. So like with prospecting emails or or getting on the phone, it's like, I'm actually really curious about what your company does. You know, I'd love to learn about how your widget does this or or how it does that. It's, it's, it's that curiosity that can kind of build that spark and help facilitate a, a better conversation in that discovery phase and consequent phases of the sales cycle. Yeah. So you started to learn the, you know, the curiosity bug bit you, I guess, when you were at Basque. And then yeah. you had the opportunity to move over into, it looks like management roles over at HireVue. What was that transition like from individual contributor to manager? And how did that affect how you view genuine curiosity? Well, I think first kind of taking a step back, I think leadership, you know, I, I'm currently a director. And so having a lot of individuals say, hey, I want to be a manager someday. And I, I always ask why, you know, hey, tell me, help me understand. Why do you want to be a, a manager? I think leadership starts way before somebody asks that question. You know, that leadership comes from being a leader and, and, and taking interest in others. And so I think that curiosity that we're talking about today is a part of that. It's, you know, one, you know, it's coming in as an ind- individual contributor. I mean, I'm going to crush my number and do everything I can. But I'm also at the same time, I'm taking interest and curiosity in those of my teammates. And I care about them and I actually want them to be successful. And so, you know, I want them to learn and to maybe replicate some of the positive things that, that I'm doing. And naturally, if people come to you and they ask you for, hey, you know, how would you do this? And you offer that information, that leadership is starting to, uh, I guess, be developed in that rep. I think that's how it happened partly for me uh, to, to move and to transition to that leadership role. I, I felt like, you know, having that teamwork over ego mentality where you're curious about others and you, you want to help them, not because it'll necessarily benefit you, but it's just an innate desire. And I think that's how it started at, at Hired before me is just being willing to help others. And uh, naturally, I think that that was recognized, luckily, by, by leadership. And they made a choice to make me a manager over there. Now that you're managing people, I'm also curious, right, if curiosity is so important to you. I'm also wondering, how do you actually hire for curiosity? How do you test that in an authentic way? I think curiosity can be looked at in a couple different ways. Passion is one way to measure it to a degree. And so I think through our interviewing and recruiting, I think it's important for people to be passionate in something. It doesn't necessarily need to be sales. It doesn't necessarily, it it just, they need to be passionate about something and and be really, really excited about it. And so we we do that in a number of ways. I think, uh, you know, in our interview process, we just ask about, hey, what are your passions? We ask why we dive into two or three levels of why the answers to those things are are quite fascinating. They're going to tell you, you know, remarkable detail, or they're going to be pretty surface level. And so what that tells me is that that person's maybe not as passionate as they proclaim they are to be passionate about something. You have to be curious about it. You have to be genuinely interested in in what it is. Um, For me, you know, some of my passions include, God, family, and country are things I'm passionate about. But I think uh, 
from a hobby perspective, you know, I love cars. I love learning about cars. I love researching cars. I love um, understanding, you know, different data and trivia about cars. I just love doing it. I'll ask your why question. So why do you think that is? My grandfather owned a car dealership and they always had brand new cars. And I thought that was so cool. I was just like, man, you know, a few times my uncle, they owned a Honda dealership and they had a little Honda sports car. You probably heard of it. It's called the Honda S2000. And my uncle would take us on uh, these like joy rides and uh, he'd, he'd drive and weave in between kind of like these empty parking lots and just kind of test the handling. And it was like the coolest thing as a kid. You're like, wow, this is so awesome. So I, I tie a lot of positive emotions to cars and just experiences we've had in cars. And uh, I, I think that's one of the whys that, uh, why I just enjoy it so much is that there's a lot of positivity surrounding it. Yeah. And I can, I can see when I ask you the question, you explain it, right. It's a tone of voice that comes through. If I, if we were watching you, probably your body language, you, you straightened up, your smile probably came out. So yes. you, you really can capture all those things when you're speaking to somebody face to face. There's something to be said about individuals that are passionate about things. That's why I think in sales, it's interesting. You don't have to be a business degree or a marketing degree to be good at sales. Like we have individuals coming in with, you know, philosophy degrees and chemistry degrees and all sorts of different things. But it's, it's that passion, it's, it's that curiosity in something that can really um, help somebody be successful in sales. And, and, and I think at the, at the core, it's, it's, it's connecting with somebody, right? On a human level, you got to be passionate about that. Otherwise, it's, you know, you're going to get into the daily grind of sales and realize, oh, man, this is hard. But at the end of the day, it's, it's fun because you're connecting with people. And if you view it that way, hey, I have an opportunity to, to help somebody today and I have an opportunity to learn and to expand my abilities and my skill set and, and understand what that person is doing every day. And, and, and if I have that curiosity, then my desire to help them increases and they will feel that on the other side of the call. If your main desire as a sales rep is to help people, that's an honorable and, and, and amazing profession is, is at the core of what you're doing is you're helping people. So I, I love that. Yeah. And I, I would get at the, another thing, which is in order to be passionate about what you're selling and to be curious about the prospect, I mean, one, you have to care about the types of businesses you're selling into, obviously, because that has to be interesting to you. And then you have to care passionately about your product in the course of my own career. A big reason why I ultimately joined sales loft was because I was a customer many times over and I felt, you know, happy when I, and successful and productive and my teams were productive. You got to love the product. Um, being, as I said, a, a user of lucid chart <laughs> pretty much every day, I can see why that would be a, something that you're passionate about. How, how do you, do you, do you need to connect that to like a greater, deeper level of meaning? Do you guys, is that important to you as a company or, or not necessarily? I think it's important. I think it's important for sales teams to have a mission statement or a vision for what they're trying to accomplish as a whole. For us, it's, it's we want to become the very best reps. And the way that we do that is we have to understand our customers. We have to be curious. We have to be passionate and care. Sometimes that's a rare thing because we have selfish reasons for doing things, whether it's you know getting a paycheck or recognition internally or promotion or whatever. But we have to care about the people that we're working with and the people that we're, we're serving as, as customer. And I think if we do that, then we do become world-class sales reps. And then our, our, our perception of what we're doing actually changes. Um, 
sometimes as sales reps, you can kind of feel guilty, like, hey, I'm banging on somebody's door, you know, I'm calling them 20 times. But if your desire is to actually help them, then that actually becomes less of a grind. It's actually like, it's, it's an invigorating thing. I have one last question for you. So I mean, you've had a pretty nice rapid rise from individual contributor to manager and now director. What was the biggest challenge of that transition from manager to director? As a frontline manager, you're very in the weeds. You're very in the day-to-day of what reps are doing. What are they saying? How are they clicking? What does their workflow look like? What are the emails that they're sending and things like that? It's fun to be a part of that and to coach reps on a daily level. When you move up a level and, and, and now you're managing managers, that dynamic changes. You actually need to zoom out and think more strategically about your role and what you're trying to accomplish. And uh, I think that transition took me a little bit. I'm a very process-oriented guy. I, you know, I, I like to set out you know, the steps to success and, and make it replicable. Now my job is to train my managers to do that and, and to, to help them, okay, let's zoom out. What are the next three to six months look like? What are the initiatives that you're driving to the team? Whereas you know, before it was, it was a somewhat more reactive as a frontline manager. Hey, I've got an issue or I've got my sales force isn't working. How do you know, help me? <laughs> so I think that's been somewhat of a transition. However, I, I think it's been really rewarding to kind of take a step, look out and think, okay, how do I plan and help my managers through success? With your own managers, are there certain processes that you think are more important to effectively leading a sales development team as a first line manager? Yeah, I think it's important to have a system, meaning that there's an efficient, um, I think of kind of an assembly line, so to speak. You know, as, as you think about, you know, leads coming in top of funnel, that's the input to the team. And then the output is, you know, opportunities. So it's, it's kind of thinking in terms of like, what is the product that we're selling internally? If it's, I'm bringing in leads, okay. And then those leads are changing to opportunities. You know, I want the team that I'm passing those opportunities to accept those opportunities and to say, hey, yeah, this is good. I'm going to work this. And so it's understanding what those inputs and outputs look like across the, the sales funnel internally so that rev- at the bottom of that funnel, there's closed one revenue. And so, it, you know, building those SLAs and putting pieces in, in place to make sure that that process is smooth I think is very, very important. Um, Otherwise, there's going to be friction between teams. You know, the SDRs are going to be passing those ops over to the AE team. They say, hey, this isn't qualified or this isn't good or whatever. So it's kind of dialing in that process where, you know, if you ordered a cheeseburger, you get a cheeseburger type thing. You know, I want that cheeseburger with pickles, tomatoes and onions and no mustard. And I'm going to deliver that every time if I can (laughs) Um, from an SDR perspective. I think the process is, you know, making sure that those teams are aligned is very important from a management perspective. And I think that that reduces friction between teams and helps teams pull and roll in the same direction. I always like to ask guests if they could, you know, summarize a few words of wisdom if they reflect on the conversation that we've had. So it can be words of wisdom, I guess, about genuine curiosity. It can also be words of wisdom about managing and leading teams. So what do you want to leave folks with? You know, the most important thing, you know, to take away from this is just really help your reps to take a genuine interest in people's businesses and to be passionate about something. Be the very best version of yourself and to not be satisfied with with being mediocre. You know, time is short. We have a finite amount of time before, you know, not to be morbid, but before we die. (laughs) And so 
if we have a finite amount of time, we might as well be the very best at what we do. We might as well be provide the best experience into be the very best version of ourselves. Yeah, clearly sound advice, both on the personal side and on the professional side. Yeah. McLean, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to, to find you? Hit me up on LinkedIn. Uh, always open to exchanging ideas and connecting with people. Once again, I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Laura Hall is our executive producer. Our artwork is by Greg Klingshern. This episode was edited by Peter Lopinto. Subscribe to us on your favorite app to learn more immediately actionable best practices from our awesome guests. Thanks for listening to the Hey Salespeople podcast.